It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. Early Wednesday morning, all flights across the U.S. were grounded due to a computer failure. Flights later resumed, but it has caused days of delays. The White House released a statement that President Biden had been briefed by Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg on the massive outage, and the administration stressed this was not due to a cyber attack. We've known about it apparently overnight, and he has no idea what happened or how they're going to fix it and how long it's going to last. That that is a, an enormous impact on our economy and travelers today. On Capitol Hill, Republicans now have a Speaker of the House, a very narrow majority, and an aggressive agenda for the 118th Congress. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel. Democratic strategist, co-host of The Five, Jessica Tarloff, co-founder of Real Clear Politics, president of Real Clear Politics, Tom Bevan, and Washington Examiner, chief political correspondent, Byron York. Uh, Byron, obviously, after we went through the holidays with all the plane delays and what happened to Southwest, this had um, people's eyebrows raised when the FAA announced the ground stoppage. It did. And there were uh, a couple of things that you thought about is one, it seems like nothing really works anymore. And like, what was this? Certainly, I'm not completely reassured by all of these assurances that it had nothing to do with uh, any sort of cyber attack in the absence of any other explanation. And then the other question you had when, when you hit the news, if, if you fortunately, like me, were not flying today, um, is where's Secretary Pete? Is he in Portugal or, or what? Uh, but he actually jumped on this one and has been the public face of, of assuring the United States that we don't know why this happened. Yeah. And Jessica, you know, how much the administration has, you know, control over these issues. Uh, It's obvious that the systems are pretty antiquated if you talk to people in the field. And uh, there's going to have to be some infrastructure investment in all of that. Absolutely. It's a good thing that we were able to get a bipartisan infrastructure bill, and hopefully we'll have further conversations around that. But I wanted to add that the thing, well, two things, I guess. Um, One, obviously, shared Byron's concern that this was a cyber attack, or if this happens again, let's say next week, will that be a cyber attack? What signal does it send to the rest of the world that our airspace can be shut down? Right, that that can just happen easily in the United States. The second piece of it is, is that it seems from hearing from pilots who have been on our air and elsewhere that people knew about this yesterday. Someone said, I think it was a Southwest pilot who was on Fox and Friends, said that there were rumors of it going from the morning until about 930. Administration officials should have been 
alerted. So why didn't we know that this was a possibility? It's creating a level of chaos that perhaps we could have gotten around without people stranded at airports again right after the holiday rush and already with a pretty low level of confidence in our ability um, to get around, certainly by air. Yeah. Meantime, uh, Tom, the 118th Congress on on the road now uh, with the speaker after a little slow start. The majority very slim, but it seems like they are moving forward without the threat of vacating the speaker, at least at the time being. It's all rainbows and unicorns right now for Republicans. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, they they got the rules package. I mean, there was a doubt that that might have enough votes to pass, but it sailed through. I think there was only one Republican who voted no on that. Um, managed to turn around and vote to defund the 87,000 IRS agents. That's the promise kept uh, by a lot of the Republicans who campaigned in November. So um, we'll see how long this this unity lasts and when and where it it breaks down, if it does. Um, but they are, you know, again, after a, a contentious start, which, you know, some people thought was a disaster and others thought was a, a vibrant exercise of how a democracy should function. Uh, you know, Republicans are, are on the move and um, we'll see where it goes from here. Byron, the first bill to Tom's point was to get rid of the 87,000 IRS agents and officials. Um, the IRS tells a different story about how they need all of these people over time and uh, they defend all of that that hiring. But that's the bill that was passed first. Democrats jumped on it saying the first bill passed by the new Republican House increases the deficit by $114 billion. Well, the bigger issue, it seems to me, is that it's just a messaging bill. Uh, this is uh, one House of Congress. The the 87,000 IRS agents, whether you think that's the actual number or not, but that that money is is law. And uh, you can't just undo a law with one House of Congress. So uh, the, the new Republican majority does this. It is a promise kept, but it's not going to happen. Uh, and now they've moved on some to some abortion bills. And it's another promise kept, but it's not going to happen. So I think we're actually in the messaging stage of the new majority right now. But what, let me follow up with you, Byron. What do you think can happen legislatively with a Republican House and a Democratic Senate? Well, not a lot. And I, and I think that a lot of Republicans thought that was a big step forward uh, after the first the two, first two years we've seen in which the Biden administration and the really tiny uh, Democratic majorities in Congress were more effective than maybe a lot of people thought they would be. So I think stopping cold for a lot of Republicans is a big step forward. Now, whether they do the actual things they have to do, like raising uh, the debt ceiling, we'll see what kind of fights those are uh, those involved. But in terms of big new policy initiatives that actually become law, I don't think we're going to see them. Yeah, Jessica, one thing that will we will see is oversight and investigations. And they've already, you know, signaled those. Um, China is going to be one of them. Obviously, the Hunter Biden situation and and all of that will be one of them. And now the new information about the documents found in Vice President Biden's uh, think tank um, in and how that factors out in the big picture compared to what the Trump situation was. So it's obviously 
a terrible error to have done it. I think anyone claiming otherwise that it's, you know, a nothing burger or whatever the term du jour for that is, um, is wrong. And you should never have classified information like that, especially if you're going to chide someone else for doing it. Um, I would direct everyone's attention to Carl Rove spelling it out um, on our network uh, on Tuesday about how different these cases are. And I think that everyone certainly um, assembled here would agree that these are not comparable in, in in any way. And I think that what's going on with the special counsel will continue. I don't think that there will be any further pressure on now President Biden. Um, they behaved properly. It was discovered by his attorneys, turned over right away to the National Archives. Um, but it certainly does put a bit of pressure on Merrick Garland. Um, it's good that he has said that this would be looked into as well. Um, but it does give Republicans, at least on the messaging front, you know, something to stand up and say, like, hey, your guy isn't clean about this. And this is something that we should look into. Um, but I would say that there was some pretty important polling that came out over the weekend about what Republican voters want from the 118th Congress. And they don't want an investigation into Joe Biden. It was about 30, 31 percent said that. But 78 percent said that they like a plan to combat inflation. They want Social Security and Medicare protected. Um, those are the things that if they want to be successful and to get reelected in 2024 and have a chance at taking the White House back, I think they've got to focus on. All right. We're going to take a quick pause here. We'll be back after this. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Tom, I saw Carl's explanation of the differences, and and he laid it out very well. But um, the right-away part of it is a little strange in that they knew about it before the midterm elections. I mean, that's that's where I think. Uh, and listen, I was just before we hopped on this, I was watching uh, Karine Jean-Pierre in the press briefing room and she was getting asked questions by every reporter, uh, you know, to start the briefing and just said, no, nah, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going beyond what the president said yesterday. She reread his statement and they kept asking, when did the president know about this? Why didn't the American people find out about it? This happened on November 2nd. There was nothing preventing him other than the election from informing the American people about this. Uh, so why didn't that happen? And we, she simply will not answer those questions. And so I think there's more to learn here. And, and obviously, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with Jessica that, that these are in no way comparable. I mean, they are comparable at a certain level. And, and I think more to the point is the way that uh, they're being handled by the media. I mean, there is obviously a double standard involved here, I think. Um, that's fairly obvious and in some ways par for the course. But uh, this is an issue that I don't think is going away uh, until we learn more about, you know, again, what what was in the documents, which we still don't know precisely, but also the timeline of how this happened and why it took two months for this to come to light. Yeah, Byron, it does echo a little bit of the Hunter Biden story and that it was discounted and totally thrown out. Social media blocked it before the general election for president. And then over time after the election, it was uh, you know confirmed, oh yes, that is accurate. So it's not the same apples and apples, but it is stories that are handled differently. Absolutely. And, and we saw the just the, the first um, run of stories about this. So many journalists sort of rushed to their keyboards uh, to explain why these cases are totally different. And Trump is bad and Biden is not bad. But I want to say one thing. I spent the whole 
Trump controversy and still say um, that we don't know what classified documents were involved in the Trump matter. Were they the nation's most sensitive secrets? Uh, were they some things that have probably possibly been overclassified? We still we got all agitated about it, and we never know knew to this day what are those classified documents are. And this is exactly the same situation with the Biden documents. Is this something really, really serious? Are these documents something that maybe shouldn't even been classified in the first place? We don't know. Yeah. Jessica, is there a sense that the president is going to be able to get things done with a Republican House at all, or that he's just going to use them as a foil towards 2024? The, the optimist in me would think that someone who has had a you know 50 plus year career um, could manage to get it done. He works very well with Republicans. He showed that in the first couple of years of his term and obviously has throughout his career. Um, but I do think that we're going to be mostly in hypercharged election mode at this point. And I think that it will become Kevin McCarthy's brand, frankly, to not work with Democrats. I think that he made a lot of promises to a lot of people. Um, he will be an incredibly weak speaker in terms of how he's able to control and kind of wield his caucus. And I don't see there being much room for people to be getting along and to, to getting any of this bipartisan legislation done, which is why, to Byron's earlier point, you're going to see a lot of things that are purely for messaging reasons, like the three abortion bills that are going to come up. Um, and I would say Nancy Mace was on earlier talking about this and just what an unforced error it is and that she doesn't even think she's from South Carolina, an incredibly conservative state, so doesn't even think her constituents would want something like that and that the midterms and all of those referendums were a pretty strong message to the Republican Party that you should stay away from these kinds of things. And Kevin McCarthy is barreling right towards them. What about that, Tom? I mean, there was a message from the midterms and Clearly, abortion had a, a part of it. Obviously, the former president and the January 6th hearings and everything else, the uh, threat to democracy that the president Biden uh, campaigned on. But abortion clearly played a role. And yet um, this seems to be a, a goal. Yeah, no, I agree. I think abortion did play a role. It played a bigger role than than the pre-election polls showed. And a lot of people thought Um particularly in certain states and those with referendum on the ballot, referenda. Um, and, and look, it is, it is not necessarily uh, among a small slice of the Republican electorate. It is an important issue, but more broadly speaking, it's, it's not something, I mean, this was the mistake that Republicans made during the election uh, for which Donald Trump chastised them, right? They, Republicans sort of, you know, the dog that caught the car, right? They got what they wanted with Roe v. Wade. It went back to the states. Um, that that's in many ways the the optimum solution. And what happened? You had Lindsey Graham and others turn around and propose a national uh, abortion ban, and which is, you know, kind of exactly the opposite of, of the message that I think um, Republicans wanted to send and the public wanted to hear at that point. So I think it is a mistake for them to proceed. Uh, when there are so many other things that their constituents want, uh, as Jessica mentioned, I mean, taxes and spending, uh, you know, all these oversight regulation. I mean, there's there's a lot for Republicans to do. It's and you've heard the old adage, they, they should be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. It's not like they can't do, uh, you know, a number of these things. It's just, uh, you know, 
honing in on abortion this early, this fast is is probably not the smartest political move. And last thing, uh, this church committee uh, that has been set up uh, under Jim Jordan and and others um, looking essentially at the U.S. government and the FBI and the Justice Department, uh, the message sent that they think they've been too political all along, Byron. That's the part that I really agree with. Um, I mean, in, in terms of a positive legislative agenda, look, I think the, the Republican majority in the House was elected to stop the Biden agenda, and that's what they're doing. But we have seen uh, the FBI be deeply involved in the 2016 election, in the 2020 election, and I'm sure they're working on being involved in the 2024 election. Uh, and you can say, well, maybe some really fishy stuff went on. Or you could say the FBI has been way too involved in politics. Uh, and I think that the latter is the case. And I hope that the Republicans actually do pursue this in the House of Representatives. We will see. Panel, thank you very much. A uh, little you. bit of history now. On January 11th, 1925, Frank B. Kellogg replaced Charles Evan Hughes as Secretary of State in the Calvin Coolidge administration. Secretary Kellogg was most known for signing the Kellogg-Briand Pact, signed by Germany, France, and the United States, and 27 other countries. That pact stated that countries would not use war as a means of achieving geopolitical aims. That pact lacked the necessary enforcement measures to prevent the outbreak of World War II. However, it did serve as the basis for the trials and execution of Nazi leaders in 1946. Charles Evan Hughes would go on to serve on the Supreme Court as Chief Justice from 1930 to 1941. He had initially served on the court from 1910 until 1916 before stepping down to accept the 1916 Republican nomination for President of the United States, losing a narrow race to Woodrow Wilson. A little history for you there. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Byron, Jessica, and Tom, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.